0: This past week, one of my best friends growing up was traveling to the Bay for some work, and I was able to meet up with him to sort of catch up on life. And when I say we grew up together, uh, in our little 600 person town, I literally moved next door to him right before kindergarten. So we were in the same class, played the same sports, and had so many great experiences together. However, we did have some rough patches as well. I remember in fourth grade, we were playing together inside the gym during recess because, well, winter in the Midwest. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we started yelling at each other. And I don't even remember exactly what happened, but I remember that I did something that made him the maddest I ever saw him, and he had a younger brother and a younger sister. I remember other classmates sort of noticing our argument and asking me what was happening, and I really wasn't too sure what to say. I remember being so confused and so surprised that things could change so quickly between best friends. conflict really can come at any moment. Uh, The healthiest, the greatest, the the most normal relationships can sort of turn in a matter of moments. A great marriage, a great friendship, a great roommates, a great work relationship can become a relationship characterized by conflict in just a moment. And if we aren't ready to deal with the conflict, we have probably all experienced that it can derail our relationships for significant periods of time. So whether you're in conflict right now or not, every relationship has the potential for conflict right around the corner. And we're talking about this today because we're in part two of this series, Connecting with People Again. And coming through this pandemic, many of us have weak connecting with people muscles. Uh, You know, those intangible mental and emotional muscles that sort of help you connect with people. Now, many of those muscles have gotten weak or sort of atrophied from not being exercised around people. And like those prescription drug commercials sort of say, uh, some of us may experience symptoms uh, ranging from being tired or worn out sooner and easier than used to before the pandemic, to sort of getting frustrated or angry quicker than in prior seasons of this life. Uh, And this has happened to most of us because we have been away from people and haven't used those connecting with people muscles in so long for some of us. And then on top of that, some of us would say, well, one of the most rewarding parts of life is connecting with people. While at the same time, we would say one of the most challenging parts of life is also connecting with people. So as we start engaging and connecting with people more and more in person, we could probably all use a refresher on some important relationship principles as we're connecting with people again. Because every relationship has the potential for conflict right around the corner. And how we handle those difficult moments and those really important relationships, and maybe those not-so-important relationships, it really influences the health and the quality of our lives and for the lives of those around us that we're in relationship with. That the quality of our lives is only as good as the quality of our connection with others. And as we've said before, we believe that happiness comes from peace with God, peace with myself, and peace with others. And so today we're going to look at how to have peace with others when conflict can be right around the corner and there are two big parts to dealing with conflict and really having peace with others and both are illustrated and written about by a guy named paul now paul wrote over half of the new testament and he was a very well educated and trained man who was trained to be a lawyer we're going to be looking at romans chapter 12. you can follow along in the bible app if you don't have the bible app head to bible.com app once you're in the app head to the more menu option in the bottom right corner select events and you can find our church We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. But Paul was sort of trying to help people know about Jesus and sort of let Jesus transform their lives, just like Jesus transformed his life. And Paul would say, here's what God did for you, and since he did this for you, here's the way you should treat every person. And along those same lines, Paul writes this in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 17. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see You are honorable. And we're all sort of tempted to pay back evil with more evil, right? He wrote me a nasty email, so I will write one back. Uh, She said that terrible thing, so I'll share about her terrible thing. However, along with our main point last week, Paul says, when you're connecting with people, make the commitment that I will pay back good for evil. And we looked at the story of David, Nabal, and Abigail, and Nabal wants to repay evil for good. and, And David wants to repay Nabal's evil with more evil. But the hero is a woman named Abigail who helps David realize he should not do that. And she models good for evil. And then Paul sort of gets to really an important verse for today. And we're going to start with sort of the end of that verse in verse 18. Live at peace with everyone. To which we're all probably thinking like, that's easier said than done, Paul. Like, you didn't have in-laws or you don't know my roommate or you didn't have a coworker that was super annoying. And that's sort of the depiction of the greatest pie-in-the-sky lofty goal ever. Did you ever have any problems connecting with people, Paul? And in reality, if we could even begin to understand how much conflict Paul had in connecting with people, it would make these words more powerful. Because Paul did have trouble connecting with people, mostly because of the way he acted in his former life. And in that former life, Paul persecuted Christians. He was sort of a Jewish zealot who was out to get anyone who who followed Jesus. He would persecute them, imprison them, and he even oversaw the death of Christians. And one of those instances involved a guy named Stephen. Now Stephen was sort of an outspoken and passionate follower of Jesus. Now, Stephen was also chosen to be a part of the group of seven people who managed the food distribution to the poor and to the widows. And Stephen was so vocal about his faith that the Jewish leaders told Stephen to stop. But Stephen wouldn't stop sharing about or talking about Jesus. And the Jewish leaders took him out of the town and stoned him. And Acts 8 verse 1 says this, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Now, Paul in his previous life was actually called Saul. That was him. And this is what Paul did before he became a Jesus follower. Now, if you fast forward a few years from that moment, Paul sees the light, literally, and starts following Jesus. And Paul is now traveling around the Mediterranean Sea, planting churches, and spreading the message of Jesus. And Paul is doing the same thing, basically, that he had killed Stephen for. And as Paul is traveling around, Acts 21 verse 8 says, The next day he went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. That Philip the Evangelist was on the same food distribution team as Stephen. So they must have been at least a little bit close, right? So imagine this. Paul is going into this community where Philip is now living, knowing that Philip and Stephen must have been at least somewhat close. And Paul stays at Philip's house? Like, super awkward, right? And yet somehow, Paul was able to stay in Philip's house. Not just because Paul tried to live at peace with everyone, likely by asking for forgiveness from all the people that he harmed in his previous life, but that would that would be much easier than what Philip had to do. Philip had to come to the place where he could forgive Paul enough that Paul would be able, able to stay in his house, even though Paul murdered Philip's colleague. Now, surely you didn't authorize the death of someone else's close friend, but you've had conflict with someone, or you will have trouble connecting with people at some point soon. And right now, this conflict includes a lot of different things. Parents, having, parents and kids having political beef, uh, siblings with different views on masks and vaccines, uh, parents who don't see racial, or friends rather, who don't see racial tension through the same lens. And that's just what's in my world right now, maybe your world as well. And if Paul and Philip could stay under one roof, surely you can find a way to pursue peace as well. That Paul was trying to have relationships with people that he had actually thrown in prison. And Paul knew what it was like to attempt to live at peace with everyone. And he really had trouble on both sides because not only did he have trouble connecting with the people he persecuted, tormented, and caused trouble with, Paul also had difficulty with the Jewish leaders who he used to be connected to before he started following Jesus that those people now considered Paul an enemy. And yet Paul says, live at peace with everyone. Now he throws in a couple of phrases before this that we're gonna also have to understand as well. He says, if it is possible, live at peace with everyone, meaning it might not be possible, but meaning I've sort of tried to live at peace with them and it just hasn't happened yet, but I've tried. It also might mean that I've tried and, and we don't have peace yet, But if I knew something else to do, I would do it. And I imagine Paul also had in mind that there were people he never thought peace was possible, but eventually, like Philip, peace was possible. And the good news is, peace may be possible. The bad news is, peace may never be possible. However, pursuing peace without the guarantee of peace is not a waste of time. And in many ways, this is what God continues to do with the world in his pursuit for everyone to have peace with him. And it's not a waste of God's time. And then Paul sort of adds another phrase. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And this is where there should be sort of a shift in our thinking about relationships. Uh, because many times we direct most of our energy in the conflict to the other person, right? If you would change, if you would stop, if, if you would get over yourself, if, if you would quit being so selfish, if you would repay me, then we could have a relationship. Instead, Paul says... What depends on me? What can I do about this? You have to sort of own your own piece of the pie. Like if conflict or the problem was a pie, what slice of it depends on you? And at times you have to be willing to say, this depends on me. You're right. I did do that. And as parents, we have to say, I know I displayed that behavior and now you're mimicking that behavior. Well, I did say that and I shouldn't have, and that depends on me. And maybe it isn't even that big of a piece of the pie. Maybe it's a small piece. But whatever it is that depends on you, you have to own what depends on you. And Paul also says as far as it depends on you, meaning there's sort of a distance to this. And I think that distance is likely sort of filling in the gap between 40% that she owns of the problem and and you own the other 40%. And there's sort of this distance between like 20%. And maybe that 20% is more their problem, but maybe it's more your problem and you can't see it. Maybe you feel like you have gone as far as you can go, but can you go any further? If I knew anything more to do, I would do it. If I wake up tomorrow and there's something else I could do, I would do it. Now, in a couple of weeks, we are going to discuss when it is irresponsible to go further and to sort of set up boundaries. But verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And this verse leads us up to the first of the two important points right now with where our culture is. Number one, you can have peace about the relationship even without peace in the relationship. If you have a relationship that's broken, you can have peace about that relationship, even if there's never peace in the relationship. If you have done all you can do, as far as it depends on you. Continuing on verse 19. Dear friends, never take revenge. Now, revenge in your life probably doesn't look like you sort of sitting back in the back room, petting your cat, thinking about ways to ruin their life. Revenge is probably not like that for you, but because revenge, is not just the external retaliation, but the internal celebration of their misfortune. Revenge is not just, I'm going to get you back. More often, revenge looks like an internal celebration of anything wrong that happens to them. He lost his job, oh no. Uh, She lost her pet, oh no. And as long as you're internally celebrating their misfortune, you don't have peace and you aren't living at peace. That revenge is robbing you of joy and contentment and satisfaction in your life. And no matter what you might think about God, he wants you to be free from that. He wants you to find peace. He says you're not going to find that by taking revenge, whether it's some kind of sort of intentional revenge or a secret, passive, silent celebration of anything that goes wrong in their life. And as long as you're celebrating their misfortune, you don't have peace. Verse 19, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. And the righteous anger of God is also called God's wrath. And this is not like some angry old man who is sort of wanting to pay someone back. This righteous anger of God is likely the consequences from sin. That sin has consequences and no one gets away with sin. Now sin is sort of any mistreatment of someone else or any mistreatment of yourself. And God is a gracious, kind, loving father who says anyone who mistreats my children will have consequences for their actions. And God cares about whatever wrong Happen to you. And Paul says, Leave that to God, meaning it's not your job and it's not my job. It's God's job to avenge or repay. Leave that for God. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. basically, God says, This is my job, and your job is just to trust me. And if we did that, our attitude toward the other person might change and our hearts might change as well. Because Paul goes on to say this in verse 20, Instead, If your enemies are hungry, feed them. Now, how would you know if they're hungry? Because you've tried to see from their perspective, which leads us to the second main point today. These verses drive empathy, which we're going to talk a little bit more in a second. Verse 20, "'Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads.'" That in ancient tradition, anyone who was remorseful put burning coals on their head, and they would sort of walk around in public view, and then people would say, oh, he's repenting, oh, he's remorseful. And when you are kind to someone who's wronged you, when you forgive someone who's taken something from you, when you bless someone who's cursed you, it's like you're sort of taking the burning coals and you're throwing it onto their head. In other words, when you are empathetic and loving to those people, you are leading him or her To the place of repentance, sorrow, or remorse, where you want him or her to be, right? And isn't this exactly what God has done for us? And Paul would say this earlier in his letter. He would say in verse uh, 4 of chapter 2, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Doesn't this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Isn't it his loving, gentle, kind way that woos people to him and to repentance? And if it's true that you were led back through kindness, then wouldn't it be good for you to lead someone else that way as well? This is what Jesus did on the cross, the ultimate picture of empathy and kindness. And then Paul wraps it up with this in verse 21. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Have you ever let conflict or, or someone overcome you? Someone wronged you and it sort of overcame you? Don't let conflict overcome you and steal peace from you. Instead of thinking about revenge, be empathetic, Paul would say. And that doesn't mean you forget about what happened, rather you think about it through a different lens. That empathy doesn't mean all of a sudden you're in the same place you used to be with that person. No, empathy means that you can start down the path of peace. Empathy sort of starts you down the path towards forgiveness. Empathy might be sort of that connecting with people muscle that we need most in this season. Uh, Previously, we used the illustration of empathy, like looking at a putt in golf. And and if you're a golf fan or if you've ever played mini golf, uh, then you've probably seen the professional golfers, uh, or you've seen a professional golfer, or you've seen somebody take their putt seriously, you've probably seen them read their putt and sort of standing behind the ball, trying to figure out what the ball will do when they putt it towards the hole. Is it going to move a little bit left or right? Is it going uphill or slightly downhill? But the golfers who seem to be the best... Also walk to the other side of the hole and look at the shot from that perspective of the hole toward the ball. Now, why do they do that? Because sometimes when you get on the other side of the situation, you can see things that you couldn't see from the first perspective. Sometimes when you get on the other side, you realize it's going to do something different than you first thought. And this is what empathy is. That empathy is a move that every one of us can make in every relationship. We can take the long walk around to get to the other side and to get in their shoes. To know a little bit more about their story. To understand where they are coming from. That empathy is understanding and sharing in the feelings of other people. Which is further than sympathy. Sympathy is sort of just a feeling for someone else. Empathy is feeling with someone. Empathy is curious. It's not critical. Empathy is always asking questions. Seeking to understand. Instead of being critical of those people, empathy wants to engage and understand those people. And instead of assuming assuming they're wrong, empathy wonders if they might be right. As with most things in life, though, the more curious we become, the less critical we become. The more curious we become, the better questions we start asking. Questions like, what would it look like to approach those people with a sense of curiosity rather than criticism? What is it like to to be you, to ask that question to them? And then what is it like to be on the other side of me? Empathy prays prayers like, God, would you help me to see them in a way that you see them? God, would you help me to understand how you see me and how you came to earth as a move of empathy? God, would you help me to have empathy for him or for her? So commitment number two and connecting with people again. I will take the long walk to the other person for peace. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's what empathy does. Maybe now more than ever, we need empathy in our neighborhoods, in our country, and in our world. And that's what Jesus followers are called to do as well. Not just with our people, but with all people. So, who is it for you? Who do you need to have empathy for? Who do you need to take sort of that long walk around to the other person to see things from their perspective? Who is the person that that you want or maybe you need to have peace with? And what is the first step towards empathy and hopefully towards peace? And as we close today and as, as, as I'm praying, I want to invite you to pray for the person that you need to have empathy for. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Paul. Thank you for the way that you changed his life but really that complicated his life in some ways because he had two groups of people, two sides of people that were sort of in conflict with. He was in conflict with. And yet he found a way to sort of deal with it and move forward and and find a way to live towards peace. And in many ways, that sort of meant having empathy for the other person. And the way that he talked about this, the way that he expressed this, and the way that he lived this out, even going and being able to stay at the house of somebody who he had the friend killed of, God, would you help us to figure out who we need to have empathy on? And God, right now, as we think about that person, would you help us to have empathy for them? Would you help us to do whatever it takes to see things from their perspective, to take that long walk around to see it from their perspective? To help understand why they came to that conclusion, why they said that, why they did that, why it's hard for them, why it's difficult for them, why they struggle. God, would you help us to have empathy on them? Would you help us to do whatever we can, as far as it depends on us, to live at peace with them? And then, God, if we can't have peace with them, it just doesn't seem possible, would you help us to do everything that we could do so that we can have peace about the relationship, knowing that we did everything we could, and we're going to trust you with it now? But, God, if there is anything else we can do, would you help us to have the courage to actually go and do it, and to keep doing the next thing that we need to do? God, we want to model what you've done for us. You've been so gracious to us and you kept providing opportunities for us to come back to you. You kept finding ways to have peace with us. So God, would you help us to model that as well? And not only that, God, you had empathy on us in a way that you came to experience life like us and see things from our perspective. So God, again, would you help us to model that? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.